Hello, and welcome to Core Women. My name is Dr. Summer Watson, and I'm the founder of Core Women, and I'm also an empowerment strategist for women. So if you're listening to this podcast to delve more into empowerment strategies, well, you're here for the right reason. However, Core Women was also developed because it's a special place that provides a unique idea of home for the hearts and souls of women. It's a place for us to share our strength, energy, wisdom, and authenticity. It's a place for women to find support and strategic empowerment ideas that will help support their lives. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Dr. Laura Dabney, who is a medical doctor and is board certified in psychiatry. She has had a practice in Virginia Beach for almost 20 years. She has been featured on the radio and in print and is a consultant for many large institutions. Let's get right into talking about your journey, Dr. Dabney, and welcome. Thank you, Dr. Watson. I'm excited to talk to you. Oh, thank you for being on the Core Women Podcast. So let's talk about your journey and how it led to your interest in psychiatry. Well, I was, I've was i always been interested in psychiatry. I didn't know it. I had a teacher who was very forward-thinking, and I think when we were acting up in class, she got us in these groups, and she would ask a question such as, Timmy, do you want to talk about you know your the death of your goldfish or Susie, you want to talk about your broken leg? And I would come home from these being all wound up and excited. And my mother was the one who first said, you know, that interest is called psychology. (laughs) So it started me down the path. And then in um, in actually in college, my last year, senior year in college, I took a neurology of psychology course. Love that. That teacher said maybe you should consider medicine as opposed to psychology, so psychiatry instead. That just blew my mind. I mean, I was I was not pre med. It was just just wild to me. So then she started me down the path of going into medicine. Oh, that's fantastic. That is awesome. So somebody kind of opened up that door and and it kind of was like, oh wow moment. Yes, that's something that I would like to do. And neuropsychology is very fascinating. It is, and it just drew me in, and it was this mixture of medicine and psychology that um, really ended up being biology, physiology, and psychology that, so medical school is perfect for me. It was the absolutely right choice. And, um, That's fabulous. I lucked so, out. But, <laughs> yeah. let, let me ask you really quickly. So once, you know, you kind of had that aha moment that was kind of opened up to you, that idea of, of medicine, what next steps did you take to pursue that? Well, I don't know how many people know this, but I mean, I mean, your listeners know this, but you can actually be pre-med after medical, I mean, after undergraduate. So I found that out. There's these um, pre-med programs, they're called post-baccalaureate programs, where you, it's a year of all the pre-med courses. So wow. I found those, and I did that at Goucher College, which was, it was, I, I'm so glad because it's, from what I've heard, it's so much better and more uh, cohesive and less competitive than if you are undergrad in, um, if you are pre-med and undergrad. So I did that program, I did that program and then they prepare you to, everybody's applying at the same time and we all did our applications to med school and then went to med school. So, um, then, then med school, you, you know, you get your MD and then you, you, and while you're in medical school, you rotate through all the major, um, specialties and programs and then you decide so I, I mean I knew I was going to go into psychology so then you do a residency which is four years typically in the specialty area of medicine that you choose so then I did four years of uh, psych- psychiatry residency to psychiatry training where you go through all the different possible psychiatric issues therapy emergency medicine 
consulting in hospitals, that kind of thing. And at the end, you become, you take a test and you're board certified. That's awesome. And that's a lot of school and good on you and congratulations <laughs> for going through that. I know that's a very difficult process and it's a lot of years and to be able to stick to that is awesome. It's terrific. So thank you for doing what you do. So you told us a little bit how you've developed your career. So who do you work with? Do you work with children predominantly or adults? What group do you like to focus on? That's a funny story. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think it, this is when your path sort of finds you. I don't, you. Advertisers or marketing people always tell you find your niche. Well, my niche, <laughs> my niche found me. I, I, um, I didn't want to work with anybody else. <laughs> I think that's a personality trait of mine. I wanted to set up my own practice because business is also interesting to me. So I thought, well, you know, I, I wasn't, I was lucky enough not to be the major breadwinner. And I had a baby in med school and a baby in residency. <laughs> so I had another job and I thought, well, you know, I'll just start my own practice and, you know, it, and I won't do, I won't work with insurance companies. Well, and that's fine because insurance companies would load you with patients, but if you do fee for service, then your practice builds slowly. And I thought, well, that's perfect. It'll build slowly while my kids are needing me and then hopefully be established by the time they're grown, which is exactly what happened. But then it was funny. I, so I advertised myself as the privacy MD, oh. which, was a, which was my way of saying I didn't take insurance. So there was, I didn't have to fax anything off. I made right. a big point of saying I don't, I don't even have a receptionist. It's just me and my answering machine. So, and I have a circ, I had a circular layout in my office. I still do, where so no one would see anybody coming in or going out. Fabulous. And I was also seeing a mentor at the time. I had a group. I would go and talk about difficult cases with them. And my mentor said to me at one point, "Wait a minute, you mostly have men in your practice." And I thought about it. I'm like, "Well, yeah, I guess I have 70% men." He said, "That's really unusual. Wow. Usually, a female therapist has." Um, has 70% females and males have 70% males. He said, you need to look into why that is. Well, it turns out that all these executive men really clung on to that mm -hmm. privacy MD. So they were so, so I started talking to them a little bit more about, uh, you know, about why was it so important for them to see, what, why was privacy so important? At that time, women, this is getting better, but women were a little more comfortable with their emotions and men were still terrified. Not that they didn't have emotions. A lot of people mistake that. Like they're, they just care about one thing or they, they don't have any emotions at all. Well, it's not true. They have emotions, but they're so embarrassed to show them or admit them for fear of being ostracized, castrated, you know, thrown right. out that um, this, so this privacy thing was a huge hook for them. That's fantastic and, uh, that you actually, you know, created that and it drew in men, especially if they're of a certain age, maybe they were raised like many men where you're not supposed to cry. You're not supposed to show emotion. Yeah. So that really set with them well that, you know, somebody's going to be able to listen to me and I'm going to be able to show emotion or at least learn to show emotion. Right. Not even right. have tapped into that yet, but knew that hey, I need, I need to reach out to somebody to talk to somebody. So exactly. So sort of my um, mantra sort of became, I can teach you how to deal and process your emotions without losing your manhood. Yeah. And it, that was a huge 
moment for them because is at the same time you're absolutely right they were they are raised we still have that society where right. you know, brush it off shake it off it, it's a huge been a huge problem and a real disconnect because women started saying we wanted more right women started right. this whole we want we want more from you we don't want you just to go to work and come home and be a robot we want to hear more about your emotional world well they were stuck right you know what do we what are we supposed to do here? We we have to earn the bacon and we have to express emotions to you. They couldn't see how this could possibly go together. Right. And so being able to learn that or, you know, number one, recognize that, understand what that feels like. Because a lot of times, you know, sometimes people get confused about what am I feeling? What, what yeah. is this? And then how do <laughs> I actually express this? So, you know, to yeah, have it, those it, tools. It, it, to be able to do all that stuff is so helpful in so many relationships and just on a personal level, it's just, it's helpful. It helps them grow on professionally, personally. So to be able to have a set of skills like that are so important. So let me ask you something. Is your clientele still 70% men? Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, my, I mostly treat executive men with relationship problems. Gotcha. Okay. So that is the demographic that you focus on and um, the folks that you work with predominantly. But I also see you doing wonderful videos like this week on, on parenting and like helicopter uh, parenting and, you know, doing all this. These <laughs> and I really enjoy them. I think they're, they, they have so many great tips. I don't have children, but I love listening to you. And I love listening to the tips. <laughs> they're so valuable. Well, thank you so much. Yes, it's especially a compliment if you don't have kids. But what happens is the little secret is when you have a relationship problem with your significant other, you tend to have relationship problems with everybody, right. at least the intimate relationships. So I have had um, fathers come in who can't get along with their adult children. I've had fathers, parents come in or men come in who have uh, been told by their upper management that they need to, uh, they're being too harsh you know, with their right. the people underneath them. Mm -hmm. I've got all, all kinds of relationship problems. It is predominantly um, a spousal problem, but they then, you know, as we get talking, like, well, they haven't talked, they barely ever talked to their kid in college or don't, they rely completely on their spouse to get together with the adult children or the grandchildren. So it ends up being a broader problem than they imagine when they first come in. Right. Now, when you meet with a client, I'm sure you do some type of clinical assessment to, you know, understand where they're, they're coming from and, you know, really look at multiple factors of how they're functioning and such. But what theoretical frameworks do you really pull from when you're engaging in therapy? Oh, so I usually work with um, the other, the other uh, tagline I use is I help relationship, I help couples without the couple therapy. So, <laughs> so mostly the single person come in, but I usually use dynamic therapy. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of behavioral, dynamic, supportive mm -hmm. therapy are the three main types used now. So with dynamic therapy, I try to get them to understand themselves. So I'm not just telling them hey, this is your problem, now go home and do X, Y, and Z. Right. So we together explore. That's what makes it so much fun for me. Because I've done all different kinds of therapy before, but this is the one where I feel like it's a partnership. So we're engaged together. It's almost like doing a jigsaw puzzle with somebody. It's like, I think this piece goes oh. here. And they're like, no, not there, but it goes here. Oh, yeah, yeah, it goes there. I can see that. Yeah, so it's this uh, working together to figure out what is the emotional problem. And as you touched on earlier, 
it typically is they they have the emotions, but first of all, it's getting them to admit that they have the emotions because there's three that everybody um, who comes to me has one of these um, emotions that they are embarrassed or even sometimes think they don't have. They've, I call it the enemy emotions, but uh, neediness, sadness, and anger. It's usually one of those or a group of those where they are denying them. So once you get them to understand the, those are normal, then it's how do you express them in a way that's not going to hurt somebody else and doesn't make you feel emasculated. Right. Well, that's fabulous. I love that. So what would you say is one of the most challenging aspects in your career and how have you overcome that challenge? Um, most challenging aspect, it has been to find that balance of be uh, where, where the line is between being close and revealing of myself and helping them. I'm a very, I'm a firm believer in it's all about the patient. Um, I do not reveal anything about myself at all because it's, I want to be focused on them. However, as I've done this for 20 years, I get feedback that people see that as I'm, they misread that as I'm disconnected or don't have any problems or, you know, think that, or I don't know how, what they're going through is a lack of empathy. So I've learned over the years to reveal things that, you know, they could find on the computer or anywhere else. Right. So I, so I reveal at times where I think it's been the best interest to help the relationship uh, going on in the office that's going to then help them move out of their uh, negative place. Well, I think that is really an approach that is so important because, you know, sometimes, and this is a question I asked to a marketer, I said, sometimes as a you know, as somebody who's worked in the clinical field and the way that we've been trained is you don't expose things that are going on with yourself in, in the therapeutic relationship. It's about them. It's about the client. And so it's funny because now we're in the social media phase and it's like, I don't think it's a phase. I think it's, you know, here to stay. And basically it's tell your story. And I think telling your story is really important, but sometimes it really challenges me to be able to like, how much do I reveal? Do I feel comfortable? Do I feel vulnerable because of the way that we are trained? Do you have that feeling as well? Like sometimes where do you draw that line? I am laughing because um, my social media person is constantly sending me messages to uh, take a picture of what your desk looks like today or what kind of coffee you drink. I'm thinking, A, it's that whole thing that you were talking about being raised in an environment where we you just don't reveal. It, it's not about me. Right. You're paying all this money to, it's all about you. But then I'm like, who cares what coffee I'm drinking? So it's very hard for me coming, you know, being 55 and coming out of the era where we just it didn't have that opportunity to now be able to really care what my desk looks like today. Right. So it's funny. Right. And it, and it's somehow when I'm looking at posts and which ones get the most clicks, it's like, wow, that simple picture got the most clicks versus like what I'm trying to say here today in this video. You know, it's like, it's exactly right. It's, it's really interesting. So moving forward, like, what would you consider one of your most successful moments in the history of your career thus far? I think it was sticking to the um, fee-for-service. 
I really just actually piggybacking on what we were just talking about, making it all about the patient. It was so, so difficult and annoying, very irritating when I had to deal with insurance companies in residency. Here are people who don't have MDs telling me and had never seen the patient, never treated this patient or maybe any patient, and they're telling me, okay, well, that's six sessions. Like six mm-hmm. sessions, this, take, this person is 40 years old and has been this way for decades. <laughs> if we take more than six sessions right. to help this person get out of this, well, you know, six sessions and, or, or if they become suicidal or something, we'll give you more. So it's almost like you have to document the worst possible symptoms or problems to get more sessions authorized. And I just thought there's something really wrong with it. I was faxing off these you know, every some often faxing off these reports with these right. with this very intimate details on there, and mm-hmm. it just made me so uncomfortable. So, I when I first went out of residency and was trying to rent a space, uh, I was trying to rent from other doctors or you know who whoever. They would say I would say well, I'm going to do a fee for service practice. They would say Oh, you can't do that. Oh, you'll never succeed. You'll never. <laughs> so it's all this real negative. Wow. Um, feedback coming back. Now, to be fair, people who knew me in residency, my uh, teachers and mentors there all said, oh, you can do it. But people who didn't know me, they're just very, were very negative about it. So I stuck with it anyway. And then along the way, people are like, well, you're going to have to take insurance at some point. So just that whole, the naysayers. Um, right. So I'm really proud that I didn't because now it's just uh, the patient and I decide how long the patient needs. Right. Well, that's, that's great because I get what you're saying. Like you said, there's very intimate details. You almost have to up the game to get more sessions. I've worked in a lot yeah. of locked facilities and I was a director of an admissions unit um, in several different areas. And it's really hard when you even present the facts and the information and then they deny And it's like, are you kidding me? So now I have to up the game more to be able to like present this to you in a way that you're going to accept this client because this person is falling apart. This person needs some help. And so I get what you're saying. You know, it, it can be very challenging. I had one patient where they were, she was delusional and thought that the lead singer of the Smashing Pumpkins was going to uh, was singing songs about her and was going to uh, come in and take, help her take care of her children. Who's going to marry her and take her? I mean, to the point where I know. So she had no groceries at home, and she was we talking about discharge. Like, well, how are you going to get groceries and get things back together at home? Well, you know, what's his face is going to come and uh, he'll do it for me. I'll just have to ask him. Billy so, will come. She's so delusional. So when I'm on, the, uh, yeah, I mean, it's so <laughs> weird. But I was on the phone with the insurance company, and I said, well, she's psychotic. And he was like, was she hallucinating? I said, no. Well, then she's not psychotic. I said, she's, delusions are a psychosis. They're very serious. Right. No, well, she's not suicidal or hallucinating, then you got to let her go. I said, I can't let her go. She's, she doesn't have a plan that's, you know, realistic. Right. It was extremely frustrating. Oh, absolutely. So next question. As a woman with a very successful career and something that you've created for yourself, what are some of the mechanisms that you developed or put in place to support raising kids, running a business, making time for your own health and wellness? I take my own advice. <laughs> I, I, have, I was talking about those enemy emotions earlier. Neediness is a big one where 
a lot of people, not just men, by the way, but a lot of men can't say I need because they think it exposes them, exposes a weakness or exposes them as being weak. But I have no problem <laughs> saying what I need. And, you know, I needed a lot of help. Um, my husband is also a physician, so we had sort of crazy hours. But I had family and we hired people and, you know, we just did what we had to do to make it work. Um, for instance, sometimes we had to get creative with the kids going to bed. Um, it wouldn't be anything I would recommend to anybody else, but sometimes I would have my husband, if I was going to be coming home at midnight, let's say, or mm. not midnight, but I was coming home at like eight or nine o'clock uh, at night and the kid was two, my child was two or three, I would say, just put him to bed, have an extra nap so I could have dinner and we'd play. I'd have dinner and play with them until midnight and then put them back to bed. <laughs> Wow. Just so I could see them, because I knew right. the relationship needed that. Um, we had to get really creative with bedtimes, nap times, where and how we add meals and everything. And I just, you know, again, there's people who would scoff or, you know, say things about that. But they just didn't, you know, I just understood they didn't understand. There was a whole, right. it's not many women, especially at that time, were going through that. So, I, you know, my husband was very supportive, and we just to our guns and now they're two very successful and amazing men <laughs> so it worked for us bravo that's exceptional because a lot of times you have to create your own plan and something that works for your family dynamic so exactly that's what worked so last question what words of wisdom can you leave the listeners with today embrace all aspects of yourself there is no negative side this is why i have this ongoing discussion every single day here in the office where people have literally pushed aside a side of themselves and really think it's something horrible that they have anger, neediness, or sadness. Somehow this means they're less than. And it's, it's all those emotions are so very important to embrace because they're telling you something. If you suddenly have an irritability or anger come up, it's telling you something about that person, that situation that's important. It's almost like a smoke alarm. It's a little annoying, but it's so important to investigate. So if you're sitting there bashing it down, no, it doesn't exist, no, it doesn't exist, um, then you're not going to miss that very important message. So embrace every, every part of you. Every emotion is relevant and important. Well, I think that's wonderful advice and great wisdom. So thank you, Dr. Dabney, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you for all you do to highlight women in business, women in general. Thank you. If you'd like to know more about Dr. Laura Dabney, please go to her website at drldabney.com and follow her on Facebook and Instagram. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women, and please stay tuned for continued growth of the Core Women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.